on, let's welcome the chapel in Richmond. Love you guys. Come on, let's welcome the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail. Love you, love you, love you, love you. You're our people. Glad to have you here. Hey, high five somebody and you can be seated. High five somebody and you can be seated. Well, good to see you this morning. We're starting a brand new series called Relationships. I'll tell you a little bit about that in uh, in just a minute, but want to look in the back of the room at the camera and say good morning to the Chapel Scott's Edition and good morning to all of you here in Midlothian. And of course, it's a joy uh, to be with the men and women in Harp in Chesterfield County Jail. We love you. You're not a project to us. You're our people. And uh, in fact, we can't wait. We're coming in to see you uh, in the next few weeks. So we can't wait to be together, do some baptisms. We, we're gonna, can't wait to hug you, preach, baptize, do all that. It's going to be so fun. How's everybody doing today? Good? Well, I want to tell you one thing. In the lobby, we got this relation tips banner, okay? So I want you to write down one tip you have on relationships before you leave. Take a picture in it. And we're just going to fill that whole banner at both campuses with, with good relationship advice. How many know we need some help in relationships, right? And so that's what that is uh, out there for. In fact, it's so cool to be able to preach on relationships the day after. Catch this. Between both campuses in Richmond and in Midlothian, we had 450 guys at a men's breakfast yesterday. I mean, that's not normal. I mean, that's just not even normal. And so what a great way to see guys connecting in relationships and community. We're doing our first ever men's night this summer. So who knows? We'll throw axes or light a car on fire. Who knows what we'll do? Uh, something will be good, though. But I'm um, glad to have you here. And uh, we're in a series on relationships. And I know you might be thinking, Pastor, I thought the church is here to just talk about uh, God. And, and, yet, and yet I think I'm I just growing increasingly convinced as a pastor that, that we need to not just let the culture speak on relationships and sexuality. The church has to speak. How many know we have to let the one who de- uh, designed us define us, right? And so we're going to, we're going to, I mean, I just think this is a big thing for young adults, for students, for all of us, every age to be able to say God made us and God has a plan for us relationally. And, uh, and so the churches, we're going to speak on this all month. And uh, let me tell you where we're going. Uh, at the end of the month, we're going to preach on relationships and rest on June, end of June 25th. And then uh, uh, two weeks from now, we're going to preach on relationships in the next generation. Can't wait to talk about uh, students, teenagers, kids passing our faith on. Next week, we're going to talk about one of the number one sources of conflict in relationships, money. So you don't want to miss that. I mean, next week, real practical. Uh, but we're going to get us going today by talking about God's plan for community and relationships. And we're going to look at an Old Testament example of uh, King David before he was king and Jonathan and their friendship and learn a few things about about relationships. And, um, you know, uh, um, some hundred leaders were, were thought leaders were, de- were trying to define what love is. And so they were studying it and describing it. And they got an idea that instead of getting uh, explanations of love from experts, what if they went to people that weren't tainted yet by life, uh, kids, and asked kids ages four to eight, what is love? And so they compiled a few of those answers. Is it okay if I share with you a couple of answers from kids on what is love? Is that okay? Okay, uh, let me share. I, I love this one. Rebecca, age eight, says, love is when my grandmother got arthritis and she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. 
So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. I mean, no, that's good, ain't it? I love this. Billy, age four, says, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know your name is safe in their mouth. Yeah. Billy, that's really good. That's true. Look at this. Carl, age five. Love is when a girl puts on perfume and a boy puts on shaving cologne and they go out and smell each other. How many know we got to help Carl out? We're going to help. Carl, we got to do some work there, Carl. Uh, I like this. Chrissy, age six, love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. That's love, right? Look, Terry, age four, love is what makes you smile even when you're tired. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. I love this one. <laughs> uh, Danny, love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him just to make sure it tastes okay. <laughs> this, one, this one is kind of weird. Love is when you kiss all the time. Then when you get tired of kissing, you still want to be together and you talk more. My mommy and daddy are like that. They look gross when they kiss. <laughs> Love is what's in the room with you at Christmas if you stop opening presents and just listen. Isn't that good? That's really good, man. That is good. That is good. Uh, Nick, Nick, Nikia, age six, says, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend you hate. That's good. That's really good. Really good advice. Love is when you tell a guy you like a shirt, and then he wears it every day. <laughs> These are so good, aren't you? Aren't they? Look at this one. My mommy loves me more than anybody. You don't see anybody else kissing me to sleep at night. Love is when your puppy licks your face even after you left him alone all day. Marianne, age four. Uh, this is, I heard somebody say, how do you know if your dog loves you more or your spouse? And they said, well, lock them both in the trunk for an hour and see which one kisses you when you open the trunk. <laughs> That's funny, I don't care what you say. Mark, age six, love is when mommy sees daddy on the toilet and she doesn't think it's gross. Let's move on. <laughs> Jessica, age six, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it, but if you mean it, say it a lot because people forget, right? Man, I think the whole Bible has a message of love on it and, and God has a lot to say about human relationships. In fact, Jesus was asked if you had to summarize the the whole Bible, what's the most important commandment? They're trying to trap him and trick him. And he, he really gave it real clear. He said, it's real simple. I could, I could summarize this whole thing called faith that we have. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, if you do those two things, all the law and the prophets are wrapped up in it. Loving God and loving people. How many know that would pretty much get us all the way in life? Loving God and loving people. Loving God and what? Loving people and somebody said well I, I love people I just can't stand them come on how many know people are annoying right no yeah how many are sitting next to somebody who's no I'm just kidding don't raise your hand some of you already raised both hands and 
you know, one of the things that I didn't know how to put words to it at the start of COVID, but, but I have stronger feelings towards it now was how devastating the phrase social distancing was in our culture. You know, we could have we said physical distancing, but we didn't. We said social distancing. And what happened over a couple year period is the underpinnings of how we were made, which was people to be entered into relationships, got detached and some of the routines and rhythms of our life were pulled apart and we were isolated from one another. I mean, we could have said physical distancing. I think we said social. And what it did is that we're still feeling the effects as a culture. In fact, I don't know if you know, counselors, psychologists tell us everything bad is up. Depression, anxiety, alcohol abuse, everything bad is up. Because when you pull people alone and you isolate, how many know if you spend enough time with just you, you will be depressed? How many know if you look at the mirror long enough, come on somebody, you will be depressed? How many know if you are the only one talking to you, you will not like you after a while? And, and so we were made for community. And what happened over a couple of years was the underpinnings of community and connection got pulled away. Counselors tell us 42% of Americans say that, that uh, anxiety negatively affected their human relationships. 39% say depression negatively affected their human relationships. There was an escalation of, um, uh, of, of separation and, and marital issues in COVID. In fact, I don't know if you know this, everybody predicted there would be a baby boom coming out of COVID. Do I need to explain this or do you kind of know what I'm saying? Like everyone was locked at home. I can change the sermon if I need to. No, but just did not happen. I mean, we just had a broken. And, and I think Proverbs warns us against the danger of becoming disconnected. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Solomon, who writes Proverbs, the wisest man who ever lived, says sound judgment is, is knowing that we need one another. We need community. We need connection. But unsound, unwise judgment is when we get isolated and separated. And that's what's happened to a lot of people. And I'm just here to tell you today we need one another you say people are annoying and people are complicated absolutely but how many know so are you and so am I Anybody here got annoying habits? Come on, raise your hand, right? I, I love it. It's my favorite. Whenever I perform a wedding and I do the premarital counseling, a couple, they share all the things they think is cute about them. And I love to meet with them three years later. You know what I mean? She's like, he's so laid back. Three years later, he's like, he, he lazy, you know? How many know what I'm talking about, right? We all got stuff. We all got issues. But God has made us for community and connectedness and relationships. And what a great weekend. We're opening up our, our summer semester. It's our shortest small group uh, semester. It's just a chance to connect. And more people than ever are connecting in groups and community. We say around here, Sunday mornings are the biggest thing we do. But small groups are the best thing we do. How many know we were made for community, right? I mean, otherwise, bars wouldn't even exist. People would just drink on their own, right? But people were made, we we're made to connect with one another. And I've just been, I've started to say this a little bolder as a pastor. I was real chill for a couple of years, but I've started to look in the camera and say, if you're home right now for, for, um, for physical reasons, health issues, you take your time, you be safe, all that. But if you're home just because you got out of the habit of coming and being together in church, there's nothing like being in the room with people doing life with one another. And we want you to come back. We want you to come back. 
Because God's made us for community and God's made us for relationships. So over the next couple of weeks, real practical series be really, really practical. We just came out of a real spiritual series on the Holy Spirit. Now we're going to get real practical. How many know God's word takes us real deep? And how many know God's word takes us real practical? How many know God's word speaks to every part of our life, right? So we're going to look together at um, this weekend at David and Jonathan's relationship and and their friendship. And let me tell you how their friendship started. David is his name. He, he eventually became the king of Israel. But before he was king, uh, David served under the, the first king of Israel. His name was Saul. And Saul was an insecure king. He actually tried to, to kill David. And, and David and Jonathan, Jonathan is Saul's um, son, so Jonathan would have been uh, in line to be the next king of Israel. But Jonathan and David became a fr- an unlikely friendship. And Jonathan stuck with David at great personal risk. In fact, David wouldn't even have made it to 20 years of age without his friendship with, with Jonathan. And I'm telling you, we won't become all that God has us to do and all the who God has us to become without other people in our life. In fact, one person said, we are the sum total of the five closest relationships in our life. I think that's true. That who we hang around with and who we walk with and who we talk with and who's investing in our lives and who's checking in on us oftentimes determines the trajectory and future of our life. And, and David and Jonathan actually become friends right after David. David has a meteoric rise in popularity in Israel. He kills the giant. Come on, somebody. What's the giant's name? Anybody remember? Goliath, right? First Samuel 17, the giant is taunting the people of Israel and David comes out as a little, you remember he's a teenage boy. He's only got a, a, a sling and some rocks he's going to throw and, and they say, you don't have a sword. And David's like, no, but I can throw rocks from a distance. How many know that wins? And, and he wins the victory and the, the people start singing his praises and that's where we pick up their friendship. And after David had finished talking with Saul, the king, Jonathan, his friend, look at these words, became, come on, somebody say it with me, became what? One in spirit with David and loved him as himself. In fact, the word one is a Hebrew word to be knit together. It's a picture of two pieces of cloth that are sewed together. And that's literally how you could describe David and Jonathan's friendship. In fact, David will say to him, later on in his life, he'll say, I've had a lot of problems uh, in relationally with women. It's a good thing I had a friend like Jonathan. And if you read David's life, we're not going to get there. But how many know it's, it's R-rated? You know what I mean? Like he has some issues relationally, but he has a friend who sticks with him through. How many know we need a friend who sticks with us through the high moments and the low moments, right? And he has Jonathan there. They're, they're knit together. There's a, there's a connectedness and, and they love one another. And Jonathan makes a covenant because, because they loved him as himself. And Jonathan comes with all his royal um, uh, uh, regalia and literally he takes the robe and gives it to David, his tunic, his sword, his bow, his belt. It's a sense of them committing to live life together. Just write this down this weekend. A couple things we need in relationships. We need people in life. We need people in life that we can walk with together. Come on. We need people in life that we don't do life alone, that we can walk together with. Somebody said, you don't get as far in life as your dream. You only get in far as far in life as your team, right? You, you don't get in as far in life as your dream. You get as far in life as your team. And, and David has Jonathan and Jonathan has David and we need one another. We need connectedness. We need, we need relationships. 
That that's the power of the local church. That's the power of small groups. That's the power of people serving on teams and getting connected. You hear us talking about growth track and small group. It's really, it's really, if you boil it all down, it's us just trying to help us connect with other people that, that to make a difference with people who want to make a difference. It's a, it's a sense of us just having a bond together, a relationship. We need people who we can walk together with. And I think we're living in a world that's pretty lonely. You say, Pastor, no way. I can get on social media and I can find out what everybody had for dinner last night because they took a picture of it. How many know just because you have friends on Facebook doesn't mean you have friends? I never, I've never been to visit somebody in the hospital and I walk into their room and they say, hey, I hate to tell you, you have uh, 800 Facebook friends in the hall who want to visit you. How many know what I'm talking about? How many know we need real life relationships? In some ways, technology aids relationships, but I think in other ways, it can set up a false veneer where we think we're connected, but we're not connected. We actually need to, we actually need to once in a while talk to one another. In fact, can I just say something to everybody under the age of 20? I want to let you know something. Your cell phone is able to make phone calls, not just texts. Come on, if you, one of my kids will text me and I'll call them back and they'll, they just texted me. And they'll throw it to voicemail, and then they'll text me again, what did you want? And I'll say, I want you to answer the freaking phone that I pay for. I'm sorry, I won't say that in any more services. I've never said freaking, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I won't do that. But I'm sick of that, okay? Okay, whatever. Don't judge me, okay? Uh, I mean, we just need connection. Sometimes we need to hear one another's voice. Sometimes we need to see one another's face. Sometimes we need somebody that just can walk along with us. In fact, Jesus said that we ought to be a loving community. First Corinthians 13, I was just reading it this week. He says there are the, the, the family of faith in describing spiritual gifts. But he says, even if you can talk, talk in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, you have nothing. You're just an obnoxious sound. And if you give all your money to the poor, but you don't have love, you're just, it doesn't matter. You can even give your life as a martyr, die for your faith. If you don't have love, it profits you nothing. How many know we need to be a loving community of faith? In fact, I've been praying this as a church. I want you to catch my heart. I've been praying as a church that we would do something radical as a church, that we would be filled with both love and truth. How many know this is a hard walking balance in our culture right now? I want us to be a church that still holds on to the truth of God's word. You're here this week and you say, what kind of church is the chapel? I feel like I, I didn't feel like I had to say this five years ago. I feel like we have to now. We are a Bible believing church that stands on God's word. Can I get an amen? Right. But, but, but I want, I want to know we're not mad about it all the time. How I many know you got to have both? You got to have the love of, of truth, but you also got to have the love of people. In fact, Jesus said, This is what the world, it'll know us with our love for, come on, somebody, love for one another. That proves to the whole world. I think the chapel ought to be the most radically loving, caring, generous people in, in this whole community because we've been loved by God. How many know we owe the world around us love? Come on. Even people that disagree with us, right? And so, but, but we do this in the context of community, walking together, loving one another. Let me show you how David and Jonathan walked together. Jonathan, as his father Saul, wanted to kill David. Now, you would think that would disrupt your friendship. Like, my friend and I have a little problem. What's the deal? Well, my dad's trying to kill him. Like, that kind of, I don't know. 
bro, this kind of bothers me. What? Your dad kind of like threw a spear at me. I mean, you know. But I want you to see how Jonathan was even willing. Look, look at this. And Jonathan spoke well of David. Look at this. Even to who? Come on. To Saul, his father. Literally, literally, here's what he's doing. He has a, he has a sense of, of, of um, positivity and encouragement when he speaks to David and when he speaks behind David's back. I think we need more people that speak well of us to us. And I think we need more people that speak well of us when we aren't around, right? And so we must not only, not only walk, walk together, I think we must talk. Come on, somebody say it with me. Talk what? Encouragingly. He spoke well of David. I don't know about you. I am convinced more and more that encouragement is a lost art in the world we're living in. In fact, I was reading the book of Acts the other day. And do you know the name that appears the most in the book of Acts besides uh, Paul is Barnabas? And literally, his name means son of encouragement. And his name is repeated more than any other character besides Paul in the book of Acts. And so here's what I'm saying this weekend. If you want to be a big player in the local church, or I want to be a big player in the local church, we've got to be an encourager, right? How I many know we've got to be an encourager, right? In fact, I think you could, you could uh, boil life down to just two groups of people, those who build people up and those who tear people down. And, and that's what I love about Jonathan. He not only speaks well of David to his face, in inconvenient moments when his dad's mad at his friend, he's still got the back of his friend and speaking encouragingly, right? I love that. I think, I think, uh, I think that there, there's nothing worse than us just talking about other people. Proverbs says gossip is like a morsel that tastes good when it goes down. How many know we all love gossip a little? No, no, not the 930, no. 1115. <laughs> well, Proverbs says gossip is like a, it's like food you like that tastes good going down. How many would admit when somebody's like, hey, I got to taste something? Don't you get a little happy? Come on. I'm just going to take a survey. Where are the people who like gossip a little? Over here. Raise your hand. Oh, just eight of us. Okay. Let's see if this side's more honest. Come on. Raise your hand. You're a gossiper. No, I mean, uh, you like gossip. Jonathan and David had a, had a, 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 listen, listen, great people discuss ideas, okay, right, right, good people discuss events, bad people discuss other people, it's just shallow, it's just, and, and so I'm telling us today, we need to learn to elevate our speech, let's be an encouraging people, let's be a life-giving people, literally, literally, they have this sense of encouragement, as long as this son of Jesse lives, he says, your kingdom, literally, uh, Jonathan is even saying to David, you're going to be the king, and I understand that, I'm going to lose something, which is my rightful place as heir to the next uh, of my father, the king, but I'm not only going to talk positively about you, I'm going to serve you sacrificially. How many know love sacrifices for other people, right? How many know you discover as soon as you have a baby that it is a one-sided relationship? You're like, when am I going to be encouraged? Never. Because there's something, something about, I want you to think of this. Think of this. Saul and or uh, Jonathan and David had nothing in common. Jonathan grew up in a palace, trained for war. David grew up on a farm, living in a field. And Jonathan understands that David in 1 Samuel 16 is anointed king by God, even though Jonathan has the legal right to be heir to the throne. 
it would be most natural for Jonathan to not want David to succeed because he's losing his own power. How many know real friends and real relationships promote others, not themselves, right? Real, real relationships speak well of others. Real relationships have a security and a love and a confidence for other people. And Jonathan's willing to sacrifice even at expense to himself so that David might go forward. Oh, I think we need a revival of selfless people in the world. Of people that serve one another and love for one another. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that the ones God promotes are not those that, that lord authority over others, but those that serve. I want you to think of how annoying it is for Jesus. He's on the night he's gonna be betrayed and he's telling his disciples he's about to die and he interrupts them and they're arguing over which one is gonna sit on his right and on his left in the kingdom. In fact, Peter, in fact, James and John's mother comes and says, which of my, imagine your mom's getting involved too. You know, like coach, my kids aren't playing enough. So that's what it, the mom's in. And Jesus literally says, what you don't understand is the kingdom of God works different than the kingdoms of this world. In the kingdoms of this world, if you fight and get ahead, you get promoted. But in the kingdom of God, you have to sacrificially serve. It, Jesus says the first, no, 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 they're gonna be last, but the last are gonna be first. He says, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, but whoever exalts himself will be humbled, right? Let's be a community that sacrifices for one another, loves one another, has a culture of humility. That's what I love about the chapel. I don't feel a lot of, a lot of ego in the people of our, of our church family. There are people who want to see other people do well and God do great things in the life of our church. How many know it's all about Jesus and not about us? Come on. So turn to the person next to you and just tell them it's not about you. Come on, you've been wanting to. I know it, just tell them it's not about you. Come on. And Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish. Look at these words. They've hit me all week and helped him, what? Find strength in God. Do you know sometimes we need other people to have faith for us when we don't have faith for ourselves? In fact, there's a great story in Mark 2 where some friends bring a man who's paralyzed to Jesus. Remember, they tear up the roof. You remember the story and lower him down. And the Bible says that Jesus says, perceiving their faith, the friend's faith, he heals the man. How many know sometimes you need other people to believe God for you when you can't believe God for yourself? And I love this. Jonathan pur purposely pushes David at a hard time of life to find strength in God. Just write this down. We all need this in our life. We need people who push us purposefully towards God. Who, who have a sense of intentionality, who make us walk with God closer. And hey, we need some friends who see the world through the lens of God's word and stand on God's word and encourage us and push us towards God. In fact, Proverbs tells us how essential this is. Walk with the wise and become what? Become wise. But if you have a whole company, a companion of fools, no, no, no. There's bad consequences, suffers harm. Walk with the wise and become what? Come on, become what? Wise. Walk with the wise and become what? Become. We need to be people that walk in wisdom and walk with wise people. We need to be people that, that maybe, maybe we just need to assess other people in our life. I'm not saying like call them today and say, I'm cutting you out of my life. You know, I'm, please, I didn't say that, okay? 
I'm just saying some of us need to look at the people in our life and say, are these people that are are these people moving in the same direction I am in their walk with God? Are they challenging me to strengthen myself in the Lord? Paul warns us of how essential this is in Corinthians. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. What does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Meaning you, how do you, how do you put yourself connected to other people unless they're walking in the same direction you are? And he uses that, that symbol in the, in biblical times of a, of oxen and a wooden yoke, right? Come on. This is the, this is the picture he uses, right? The, the piece of wood that's put over the, the neck of the oxen to link them together so that as they're plowing in the field, they can move at, at a common speed and a common direction. And, and they have to, it, 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 and this is what the Bible says. We got to find the people that we're yoked with, that we're connected with, that we're doing like, they got to be walking in the same direction we're walking in the same way for the same purpose, for the same. We need some people that have the same goals and, and the same drive and the same Holy Spirit and calling of Jesus. How, how many know we are the sum of, of the relationships in our life? Somebody said, you tell me the relationships you have and the books you read, and I'll tell you the future you have, right? And, and Paul says, listen, some of us maybe need to look at the yoke over our necks and the community we have with one another and say, I, I need to be really purposeful that I have people in my life that are pushing me towards God. I'm not saying we should run away from culture and not have any friendships. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying some of us need a, a person or two more in our life that ask us hard questions and push us towards God. Can I get an amen today, right? Like we need that. All right, I want to show you two more verses before we close this weekend. Because it's at the very end of uh, Jonathan's life that he's just about to, uh, his future's gone. And there's a strange custom in biblical times that the new king of of a empire would kill off the heir's of the previous king if they weren't related as a way of securing their throne. And so you could see uh, Jonathan, he, he, he's, he's passed away and, and David is king now. And Jonathan has a son named Mephib- Mephibosheth. Come on, say that with me. Mephibosheth. Come on, say it. Mephibosheth. You said it better than me, okay? And Mephibosheth has... Uh, is afraid of what's going to happen. Is David going to do what's common and secure his kingdom by killing off the, 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 the ancestors of the previous king? And so David comes to him and says, literally, don't be afraid. Like, I know you're scared. And look at the loyalty, he says. I'm going to surely show you kindness for the sake of who? Your father, Jonathan. He says, your dad was a friend to me. I'm going to stay loyal to him. And then he says to him, I love these words. I will just say that word with me. I'll what? I'll restore. I'll restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul. So he's, he literally says, I'm not even going to just not kill you. I'm going to give you, as though you're royalty, I'm going to restore the fortunes that your grandpa Saul and your dad Jonathan had. I'm going to give them to you. And then he says this, not only are you going to get the land and you're not going to die, you're invited to the table of royalty. (laughs) He says, you'll always eat at my table, always. And Mephibosheth is overwhelmed at the kindness. He literally says, 
Man, he bows down. What's your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He's literally overwhelmed. I can't believe you're going to, I can't believe. So I want you to see the picture of David's loyalty to Jonathan. He preserves the life of his son, restores the land of his son, invites him to have full access to the royal palace and a seat at the, t- at the king's table. And, he sa- and, and Mephibosheth says, I'm, he uses this phrase, I'm not even worthy, I'm a dead dog. Like, I was reading this week about this and thinking about it. Many biblical authors believe that this is not just kindness from David to Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, but it's a picture of David who Jesus would come through the line of David. You read it in Matthew 1. It's a picture of a king restoring people to royalty. It's a picture of what Jesus, hey, it's a picture of what Jesus has come to do for us. In fact, if you read 2 Samuel 9, we don't have time, but Mephibosheth actually couldn't walk. And one author says, when he pulled up to the table and you pushed him to the table, the tablecloth covered the brokenness of the condition he had. (laughs) And the author says, that's exactly what God does for us in Jesus. He restores us back to a relationship with the king. Or let me show it to you this way. We had a good king seek us out. We're given a seat at the table. And in our relationship with God, we can sit and receive all that he has for us. And guess what we would say, just like Mephibosheth, we would say, I don't have anything that deserves it. God, why would you notice me, a dead dog like me? (laughs) But no, 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 we're given a seat at the table, sought by a king, and given the gift of royalty, and and the king's tablecloth covers our sin. How many are grateful for grace this weekend? Come on, grace, unmerited, unearned, undeserved. In fact, in the book of Psalms, and I'm going to pray for us in just a second. In the book of Psalms, it says that God is the lifter of our heads. It's a picture in the ancient world. When you would enter the the palace of a king, a monarch, you'd have to do it very cautiously because kings had unlimited rule in that day. And so you would enter, you'd walk up to the king and you would kneel before the king and you would dip your head as a sign of deference and respect to royalty. And if the king chose, he could reach out his scepter and he could accept you and he could lift your head. And this is a way of grace of the king saying, you can rise in my presence. And catch this, chapel. When God describes our relationship with him, he says, some of you, man, you've been approaching me and out of, out of deference, you understand. How many know God is holy, right? You don't go in and say, yo, what's up, dude? You know, how many know God is holy? Can I get an amen, right? But yet we go uncertain and are unsure of what he's gonna do. But because of Jesus Christ, the king dips down his scepter and he lifts our heads and he says, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be dismayed. You don't have to be uncertain of what the future holds. He lifts our heads and he invites us into a relationship and he doesn't, he says, all the things that you lost in sin, I'm gonna restore them to you. And not only that, I'm not just gonna restore to you what you've lost. I'm gonna invite you to the, you prepare a table before me, the Bible. We literally, are invited to sup with the king, to have a relationship with, how many are grateful this weekend for grace unearned, undeserved, a relationship with God? 
David shows us a picture that there is a king who has sought us out. And if you're here this weekend and you didn't know that, that's the whole story of the Bible, that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that through grace and mercy, he restored us to himself, that he sent his son to die on a cross to give us forgiveness of sins, that we might, we might know, trust, and treasure a relationship with the God of the universe forgiven would you bow your heads all over this room I'm just going to pray and I know we're talking about human relationships all month and kind of having a relationship tune up but before we get real practical these next few weeks we can't fix up our human relationship unless we know we have a connection to God through Jesus Christ if you're here this weekend in Scott's edition or Midlothian or online or at Chesterfield County Jail and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I have a relationship with God. I'd love to pray for you. I won't embarrass you and I'm not gonna drag it out one second. But you're here this weekend and you say, Pastor, I'm not certain that I have a relationship with Jesus. I wanna trust him today. Would you pray for me? I won't embarrass you, I promise. But I'd just love to know who you are. If that's you this weekend, Scott's edition or in Midlothian, just raise your hand up quick and put it right back down and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not certain of where I'm at in a relationship with God. Yes, are there others? Yes, are there others? You just say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure where I'm at in a relationship with God. Anybody else? Just one last time, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, thank you. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. And right where you're seated, it goes something like this. God, I know I've sinned. I know, like Mephibosheth said, I'm a dead dog. I don't, I can't fix myself. But thank you that you're the king who reached down and sent your son. So today I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And I pray he would change me and forgive me and give me a new start. Come into my life. Help me uh, to turn and follow you. Turn away from sin and myself. And trust in Jesus alone. And the forgiveness that's offered to me. Today I make my, my full allegiance to you. And I receive the gift of eternal life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, chapel, a bunch of people took steps to trust Jesus. Can we tell them we're proud of them today? We're proud of you. I'm going to turn the service over to uh, Scott's edition now.